you. Glad to have some folks quickly I want to mention back with us. Glad to have the Shiflets back. Um, Mike and Leslie were out of town for some weeks, and so so thankful that they are back with us. And as well, um, glad to have uh, Jacob and Ashton and Walker uh, from South Carolina, of course. Always glad to have um, them with us. They were here for the weekend, and so grateful to have them. And as well, folks who are visiting, we're thankful to have you. Be praying for the folks that are out. Several several folks are out um, today, so please be in prayer for those as you look around and recognize that the empty seats and those who normally would be there, so please pray for them. And um, as you are aware, those who've been with us, we are studying through the Paul's epistle to the Colossians, the Church of Colossae, and we are in chapter 3. And on uh, two weeks ago, we were looking in verse 18 um, concerning, and we'll review some of this in a moment, but wives, submitting yourselves unto your husbands as is fit in the Lord. And then husbands, last week, love your wives and be not bitter against them. And so we've been looking at this. This morning, we're moving forward in the text, of course, concerning that of children. And we'll look at this more in just a moment. Um, that is why Ashton is here, is because I was dealing with children, and my daughter needed to be here for this. And so um, I told Jacob, you need to get her here for this, and you need to hear it too. So, But uh, glad that, uh, I am glad they are here. But we're moving forward in our text. And so if you would turn with me in Colossians chapter 3, and we'll read verses 20 and 21 this morning. And of course, we're going to review this and, and keep it within its proper context, of course, which is always imperative. Because uh, before I get started, let me say this before we even read together, that when you come to passages such as this within the scriptures, in Paul's epistle specifically, it is often the case that people will attempt to just isolate these verses from the entirety of everything that has been built up to this point. And these verses are not isolated passages. These are not just isolated statements of truth. A friend of mine said to me yesterday, I thought it was an interesting way of saying it, and he said, he, he said, I tell our people all the time, there are no hard left turns in Scripture. And what he meant by that is that it's not as though here's the whole train thought through an epistle and all of a sudden, oh, let's just turn and go some total different direction and isolate these verses. Now, many people would come to Ephesians 5, which we will be alluding to again as we dealt with that some years back now through our study of Ephesians. But many people would look at Ephesians 5 in such a matter. It's often referenced in weddings, which that's wonderful as long as it's kept within its proper context. And as well, Colossians, the same truth. Many people will look at Colossians 3, which is a parallel passage to Ephesians 5, and you come to the point of, okay, here's wives and husbands and children and parents and parents and children and slaves and masters and masters and slaves or employers employers in our context of, of how our culture, the point being that they will view these verses as though this is totally independent of everything Paul has already stated leading us to this point. And it's not isolated at all. And I'm wanting again to remind you of that as we enter into our study this morning. And again, as we review from the past two weeks specifically, and then continuing on. So Colossians chapter 3, verse 20, if you will look there with me, please. Children, obey your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing unto the Lord. Fathers, provoke not your children to anger, lest they be discouraged. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you again for the privilege to gather around your word with your people. Thank you for the opportunity to proclaim its truth. Lord, may you guide our thoughts and may every uh, word from our mouth be that which is pleasing, acceptable in your sight. Lord, may we be faithful to teach and proclaim your truth, your message. And Lord, give us ears that we might hear, eyes to see, and hearts to receive that which is revealed of our Lord Jesus, even in these passages this morning. May we, our hearts be focused on him. May we truly not only 
come together with a desire to see the revealed Christ, but may we live in the truth of the resurrected and revealed Christ within us as your people. And Lord, we pray that we might again have discerning hearts and minds, and may you use your word to continue to conform us to the image of your precious Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. For it's in his name we pray and ask these things. Amen. Thank you and be seated. Within this third and final division, because again, it's important when you when we approach Scripture, have a, a, an understanding of the big picture of Scripture, that we understand the whole emphasis and theme of Scripture, of course, and the, the primary person of Scripture, and also that as we look at each individual book, specifically when you look at the epistles, that we are to have an understanding of how this epistle fits in the entire picture and teaching of Scripture within its theme. And so as we consider the chapters, as we come to chapter 3, for instance, again being reminded that when the epistle was written by Paul, it did not have chapters, it did not have verses. There were no, none of these divisions that we now have, which are helpful to us for the sake of memorization or reference, but yet they were not present. So often, as I've said to you, you'll move from one chapter, chapter to another, and it appears division because of a chapter division when there's no division at all actually present. And sometimes there are divisions between chapters, but within the chapters themselves are also divisions. So there are, for instance, in, in the as many of you are aware, in the Greek language, which I'm not a Greek scholar by any means, but in the Greek language, you'll find, and it's, it's demonstrated in our English translation, that sentences, what we would consider to be run-on sentences, are present. In other words, while we may have a sentence that's very short within the English language, in the Greek, it would be a continued sentence or statement that may be verses long as translated for us in our scriptures and divided. So every chapter also will have divisions, even if it's only one division, but yet there are divisions within the chapters. And so this morning, uh, we are continuing in this third and final division of the third chapter of Colossians. And Paul briefly, or, or in a very summarized manner, he addresses in this portion of the text, in this division, a generalized list of the relationships which exist among humanity or within humanity. And as I've previously mentioned, Paul provides this list of relationships, but he does so sandwiched between verses 17 and 23. Now, I understand that this, verse, uh, this chapter has more than just 23 verses, obviously. You know, it has 25, but yet, in between verses 17 and 23 is where Paul lists all of these relationships that exist among mankind. And he exhorts the Colossian believers with the following in verse 17. And whatsoever ye do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by him. And again, the word name here does not mean the title or the letters J-E-S-U-S, but it's saying in the authority and in the power and in the spirit of this one in which we are doing these things. Then in verse 23, it's very similar. Notice what he says. And whatsoever ye do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not unto men. So between verses 17 and 23, whatsoever you do, do heartily, or in word or deed, do all in the name and the spirit and the authority and power of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to God the Father by him. And then verse 23, whatsoever ye do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not unto men. Within these two verses are all the relationships that exist within humanity, a generalization of them. And these verses are a reminder of the spirit in which all of our relationships are to be centered. For if we're to do all things in word and deed in the name of the Lord Jesus, in the authority, power, and spirit of Christ, then that is to say that all of our relationships, all, let me put it to you like this, I think to demonstrate this helps a little bit, all of our horizontal relationships that we have with other human beings 
whether it's wife, husband, husband, wife, father, wife, or father, uh, mother, children, children, mother, and father, or employer, employee, employee, employer, all of those relationships that exist, these horizontal relationships, are to be an overflow or a reflection the vertical relationship that we have with our Lord Jesus Christ. So all relationships should be a demonstration of the love, grace, and, and relationship that we have with Christ as he has loved us and as he demonstrates grace towards us. And so a reminder, these verses here, 17 to 23, are a reminder of the spirit in which all these relationships are to be centered as those who have been risen with Christ. Now that's important as well, risen with Christ because of chapter 3, verse 1, and we're going to get to that in just a moment. God's intent and purpose for the marital relationship is that it is to be a display of the covenant relationship between the Lord and his church. In Ephesians chapter 5, as I previously mentioned to you, in Ephesians chapter 5, verses 31 through 33, we're going to allude back to Ephesians because Paul expounds on these same truths, even within the same particular order, as he does in Colossians. He generalizes or summarizes in Colossians what he teaches in more depth in Ephesians. And he says in chapter 5, verses 31 through 33, for this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and shall be joined unto his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. This is a great mystery. So Paul is saying this marital covenant relationship is a phenomenal mystery, and he's already dealt with verses concerning this marital relationship. But then he says, this is a great mystery, verse 32 of Ephesians 5, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. So Paul clearly says here, this is not about you and your husband, you and your wife. This is about Christ and his church. And that your relationship is to be demonstrative of the relationship of Christ with of which you as a believer are a part of that church. You aren't the church, but you are a part of the body, a part of that church. And so he says, nevertheless, verse 33, let every one of you in particular so love his wife even as himself, and the wife see that she reverence her husband. So he says, this isn't about you and your relationships, but nonetheless still wives reverence your husband, husbands love your wives, which again is a demonstration of this relationship between Christ and his church. So Paul first began by addressing wives, in which he stated in verse 18 of Colossians 3, but here's where I want to go to. Go first to chapter 3, verse 1, because I told you, you cannot isolate and separate these verses. Paul says in chapter 3, verse 1, if ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God, verse 2, set your affection on things above, not on things of the earth, verse 3, for you're dead and your life is hid with Christ in God. Then verse 4, when Christ who is our life shall appear, then shall ye also appear with him in glory. Mortify therefore your members. He goes on to talk, talk about putting to death the members of the flesh because the, dead, the, the, the old man is dead and you are a new man now in Christ. Put on that new man. In other words, live in God's appropriated provision for you appropriate that provision, live in the truth of this provision that God has already made for you. Positionally, you are in Christ. Now, allow Christ to live through you. That's what Paul is saying, just like Ephesians 1 through 3, Ephesians 4 through 6, the chapter divisions. So he is saying, you're in Christ. Here's your position in him that God has given you. You're risen with Christ. If you therefore, or if you then be risen with Christ, that's positional. I'm in a resurrected life because of Christ. And if that is true, then I'm to allow that resurrected life to me to be demonstrated through me and so he is saying this now in relationship or in relation to the relationships that he provides here in this list so in other words he begins by addressing the wives so let me preface with this if ye then be risen with christ verse 18 wives submit yourselves unto your own husbands as it is fit in the lord paul is stating that wives are to subject themselves to their husbands in the proper manner in submission to the lord and this subjection 
interesting because these verses are often totally mistaught because they emphasize, many will emphasize about the men uh, ruling over their wives. That's not what this verse says. It said, this is a address to the wife that if she's risen with Christ, it is her responsibility to submit herself to the God-given order, which God has ordained, not man, and that we are to submit ourselves to such an order. In 1 Corinthians, if you recall, as we've referenced, Paul says, that, and, and he's dealing with the order God has provided. He's the woman is the man, the head of the man is Christ, the head of Christ is God. And when he makes that statement, he's speaking of Christ, meaning the Messiah, Christ in the flesh, not the person of Jesus, eternal, eternally part with God, but he's saying the manifestation of Jesus in the flesh, he was under submission to the will and purpose of the Heavenly Father while he lived in the flesh. So he's saying there's a God-given order within the home, there's a God-given uh, order in, in the world, and that all are to be subjected or submit themselves to this order. So when he says, wives, if ye then be risen with Christ, if you're truly living the resurrected life, if you are positionally in Christ, then wives, submit yourselves. And again, this is not a command for the husband to control his wife, but it is a command for the wife to submit herself to the God-given leadership of the home, of her husband. Paul then addressed husbands with a twofold command, as we saw last week. If ye then be risen with Christ, again, we'll preface with chapter 3, verse 1, husbands, love your wives and be not bitter against them. I explained last week how Simon Peter expounded on this matter of how we are to refrain from bitterness concerning our wives. 1 Peter 3, 7, Likewise, ye husbands, dwell with them with your wives, according to knowledge, giving honor unto the wife as unto the weaker vessel, and as being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers be not hindered. So here, Paul, or Peter is making a statement and saying that wives are the weaker vessel, but husbands are to honor their wives in such a position, that they are to recognize their wives and they are to give honor to them as the weaker vessel, not manipulate them, not to, and, and to not grow bitter against the who live in subjection and submission to this truth, that we recognize, again, I said to you last week, and it's just common sense, regardless of the insanity of our culture and world today, men and women are not the same. They're just not, and they never will be the same. We are different. We are made different. We, we are not the same. We don't the same. act the same way. We don't respond the same way. We are different. And men are to recognize that their wives are the weaker vessel physically. And, and when it comes to, of course, in most cases, there are exceptions to this. But in many and most cases, if men think more rationally and logically about things while women respond more in emotion, but that's how God made us. It's not something that is bad or wrong. It's how God has made us to be, and we are to recognize these things, and so one of the most irrational things, it's kind of interesting, I'll digress for a moment. One of the most interesting things, I think, is that while a man may claim to be very logical and rational, he then expects his wife to act like he acts, which is absolutely irrational, because it's just not going to happen, and so it's interesting, though, that, that for us and that God, again, the, the woman, as Scripture teaches, is the glory of, of the man. She was taken from man in the Garden of Eden, created out of Adam, but yet she's the glory of man. And the fact of the matter is men are to be aware of this as husbands and are to respect and understand this and deal with their wives accordingly and not be bitter against them. So Peter provides us an understanding of how we're not to be bitter against them, how this is to, to look and how this is, a, is worked out in our lives. And as we did within our study of verse 18, Concerning Paul's exhortation to wives, last week we also referred to Paul's epistle to the Ephesians concerning his exhortation to husbands. So let me just, I'm not going to spend much time here, but let me just reference this quickly. Ephesians 5, 25 through 33, and in verse 25, Paul said, 
Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. And again, I'll say to you, that is something that I am not capable of doing within my own ability, and neither are you as a man. You're not capable of loving your wife as Christ loved the church. We cannot do that. But here's the point. He can do that through us. So if we are living submitted to him and he is loving through us to our wives, this kind of love can be demonstrated, though it is not sourced from us. It's sourced from Christ who dwells within us. And so in his epistle to the Corinthians, if you recall, Paul explained God's love. 13, 4 through 8, the beginning of verse 8. He's, and, and again, I won't read all of this, but just to explain it, he says again, if you recall, if, if a man has not charity, he's saying possessively, if a man does not possess charity, well, ultimately, what is agape? Because the word is agape, of course, to, from the Greek. And the word agape is the word that is used in often to uh, be, it speaks to God's love, not man's love, God's love. And so this love of God, if we do not possess God's love, well, well, where is God's love found? It's in Christ alone. Nothing can separate us, Romans 8, if you recall. Nothing can separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And this was manifested the love of God, 1 John, in that he gave his sin, his only son. So the point is, the love of God is demonstrated and manifested in the person of Christ. Therefore, to receive Christ is to receive God's love. To reject Christ is to reject God's love. But God's love is found nowhere other than the person of Jesus Christ. So if one possesses charity or possesses agape or possesses God's love, it means they possess Christ. And so in this description of Paul provides in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, we found, I'm going to briefly just summarize this for you, that God's love is patient, God's love is undeserved, God's love holds no resentment, God's love was demonstrated in the greatest humility, the cross, God's love is honorable, God's love selflessly endures all things, God's love is not easily upset or provoked, God's love does not keep a tally of the evil which we have done. God's love rejects injustice and loves truth. God's love put up with the annoyance and difficulty of the cross, demonstrated complete trust and confidence in its work, that of the cross. Look forward with confidence of that which is good and beneficial and continue to faithfully bear up under the shame of the cross. And that's what 1 Corinthians 13 tells us. And then last, God's love is eternal and will never cease. And so those who are in God's love, those who possess God's love, this is the demonstration and the understanding and reality of God's love to us. God's love is a sacrificial love. In verse 25 of Ephesians 5, when Paul said, husbands love your wives even as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it, husbands are therefore to shepherd their wives. That's what's being stated here. We, concerning shepherding, uh, we know that this consists of both love and leadership. Concerning love, in verse 25, Paul said of Ephesians 5, Husbands, love your wives even as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. So this has to do with love, that we love our wives, and that love is demonstrated as 1 Corinthians 13, not in perfection by any means, but we are to understand God's love toward us, which is then to be, obviously, we're examining our, our claim of love to others, including our wives as husbands. We are to of love as to whether or not this is even aligning with what God defines to be love and that to which he has demonstrated unto us and given us. And so he says that this deals with both love and leadership. Then concerning the leadership, verse 29 of Ephesians 5, for no man ever yet hated his own flesh, but nourisheth and cherisheth it, even as the Lord the church. The verb nourisheth means provides and sustains, and the verb cherisheth means to possess concern and Again, as shepherding our homes, listen, men are given a tremendous responsibility, and I've said this before, let me say before we move on, that the, one of the greatest, I think, tragedies 
within the church, obviously, is that, that the church is not Christocentric, obviously. But then second, that men are not serious about the responsibility they've been given to shepherd their homes. And, and it's kind of interesting, in many cases, it's as though men expect the pastor to become the surrogate shepherd of their homes rather than they taking the responsibility themselves to shepherd their own homes, to teach their wives, to nourish their wives, to cherish their wives, and to instruct their wives. Now, should instruction come from the pulpit? should not be the sole source of the instruction that a woman is receiving who has a husband at home. He is to be serious about this and take this responsibility in a serious manner. And so shepherding is a, is a high call of God for a husband concerning his wife. The natural progression of Paul's exhortation as we move forward is demonstrated in both Ephesians and Colossians, as I've mentioned. Paul begins with the wives, as we saw, then address the husbands. Naturally, Paul then addressed the children and then parents in relation to their children. So let's look at verses 20 and 21 again, now that we're kind of caught up to some degree. Children, obey your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing unto the Lord. Fathers, provoke not your children to anger, lest they be discouraged. So to summarize Paul's statements here in verses 20 and 21, Paul first addressed the children's responsibility to obey their parents, which is God's design for them as they submit to God's order in the home. Remember, this is all about order and about understanding that. And let me say to you like this, if ye then be risen with Christ as children, obey your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing unto the Lord. So we see here that Paul addressed as well the fathers concerning, and we're not going to really deal with this much this morning, this portion, but he addressed the fathers concerning their responsibility to shepherd their children with grace. So not only are the fathers responsible to shepherd their wives, but they are also just as responsible to shepherd their children. But part of that is down through the wife. If a man is shepherding his wife, then she should also be shepherding the children accordingly as she is being instructed and taught and cared for and nourished. And so we see that but Paul addressed the fathers concerning this responsibility that they are to do this with grace, that they do not misuse their God-given authority to become discouraging to their children. And I confess to you, there are times that I surely failed in this. And I would say if you're a father, you probably did the same. Even Hebrews speaks to this concerning the chastening of our children in relation to God chastening his children, those he loves. And it speaks about if our fathers chastened us in anger... And that's truly been the case at times. There's times my children have made me excessively angry. And there are times they probably still will make me excessively angry, even though they are grown and out. <laughs> Yet the reality is that our responsibility as a husband, as a father, with grace. It doesn't mean compromise, and it does not mean without being bold and firm in the truth. But we are to show the grace. Think of it like this. There are times where I have attempted to chasten or attempted to instruct or teach or just reacted, even out of anger, as we've spoken, and as Scripture speaks to as well, and I surely do not desire for my chief shepherd, the Lord Jesus Christ, to deal with me in that same fashion. And he doesn't. He corrects, he instructs, the Lord rebukes, the Lord chastens, but he does it out of love, not anger. And he doesn't do it punitively, he does it lovingly for the purpose of correction, not for the purpose of beating down or just making a point of retribution. Again, remember God's love? It doesn't resent. Those who are in God's 
God's love. He has no resentment for those upon who those who have received such love. There's nothing I ever makes God resent me. But of me, it's because I am in Christ and Christ is in me, and He's pleased with His Son. And we get back to that truth of this position that we have in Christ. And so, in this exhortation, we again will look to Ephesians chapter six now, moving forward. Because Paul, again, deals with this more extensively and expounds upon it more so in chapter 6 of Ephesians than he does in Colossians chapter 3. They are parallel sister passages, as I mentioned. So Paul expounds these same truths to the Ephesians. And so let's look at Ephesians 6, 1 through 4 for just a moment. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Remember I said, if ye then be risen with Christ, children, obey your parents, as we saw in Colossians 3.20. Now look, children, obey your parents in the Lord. This is positional again. If you are in Christ, you are to be obedient in order and submission to God's order as he has provided it. Honor thy father and the mother, which is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with thee and thou mayest live long on the earth. And ye fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. It is rebellion against God's order, which is at the root of problems which exist within the home, within the church, within the world. Men do not want to submit to God and his order, and they think that they can do better than he can concerning his order, which obviously is, is ludicrous. And we see in 1 Corinthians eleven three. I quoted this a moment ago, let me reference it again, but I would have you know, Paul says that the head of every man is Christ, the head of the woman is the man, and the head of Christ is God. Here's the order God has provided. And that's consistent, that's not just one verse, Let's talk consistently through the scriptures. Now, Paul exhorts everyone in the home concerning the importance of the privilege God has given us to demonstrate his glory and his grace in a world of darkness and unbelief. Concerning the responsibility of children, Paul really provides two commands. Now, he does this in Ephesians 6, which again is summarized in Colossians 3.20. He says in Colossians 3, children, obey your parents. In all things, for this is well pleasing unto the Lord. Then in Colossians, I'm sorry, in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 1, children obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. So the first thing Paul deals with is obedience. Obedience. Now, obedience, uh, some people would view obedience as someone just outwardly doing something that they're told to do or that they're expected to do or supposed to do or feel obligation to do. That's really not obedience, though. That may appear to be obedience, but it doesn't mean it actually is. Uh, for instance, I said with my own children in rearing that I learned this quickly with my, my kids, especially when they were in their formative years as younger children, and I was able to teach them, tell them to do something, and I expected them to do it. And as their father at that point in time, I could actually make them do what I told them to do. But I found very quickly, realized this truth. The one thing I could not do Though I could force them to do things I told them to do, I could not put within them the desire to do what I told them to do. And obedience is submission to the Lord in his desires, not simply going through some formal outward motion that appears to be pleasing unto him. And so when he says, children, obey your parents and Lord, this is right, he not only provides instruction to children, but also provides the reason of the importance of obedience, for this is right. And Paul's instruction for children to obey their parents is in relation to parents teaching their children both in word and example. So we must view Ephesians 6.1 within the context of Paul's pre 
teaching within the previous chapters, and specifically chapter 5 of Ephesians. He's already set the groundwork. Wives are to submit themselves unto their husbands as unto the Lord. Men are to love their wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. So first is this marital covenant relationship that is to both are to be submissive unto the Lord, which will then be demonstrated within that family dynamic, within the marital dynamic. But then he moves on to children. But the children are learning by example. And they are to see demonstration of submission to God's order in both the wife and the husband in a proper manner that they then might understand how they are to submit to their parents, which is to be reflective of their parents' submission to the Lord. So this is not just about beating your children into subjection and submission and make them do what you want them to do. That has nothing to do with this. It's about proper demonstration of instruction, correction, and grace and discipline to help them, to teach them, to give them what is needed according to uh, the Scriptures. He goes on to say that, of course, or this is implied that if children are to obey their parents, the question then is exactly what are they to obey? In other words, parents are responsible to continually instruct their children and teach them in the truth of God. Verse 1 says, for this is right. I confess, again, as I said, there are many times in teaching my own children that I commanded them to obey me. Why? Because I'm their father. You do what I tell you to do. Why? Because I'm your dad. That's why you're going to do it. And, and really, that's not a proper reason. In other words, I would tell them to do this or that, and if they ever question as to why they had to do what they were instructed to do, often you would say, because I said so. This is so much so true that as children got older, they actually purchased me a shirt that said, because I said so, dad. <laughs> and so there were times that I would just say, do this, why do I? because I said do it. There is that authority in the home that is supposed to be present and is supposed to be obeyed, and that is true. However, though this is not wrong in one sense of the word, we have a, as, as fathers, as parents, we have a God-given responsibility in relation to the lives of our children. But this alone should not be the basis for which we demand obedience or expect obedience from our children. Why should children obey their parents in the Lord? Paul's answer is simply, for this is right. Therefore, it's the right thing, so do it. But the explanation immediately points us again to the importance of God's order and the responsibility of parents to teach and exemplify obedience to God's order. A man taking authority, no more than it's about a man ruling over his wife in some domineering fashion because he's the husband. No, he is to shepherd his wife as Christ shepherds his church. And the the wife is to submit to her husband as the church is to submit to the, the Lord. And the children are to obey their parents in the same fashion that their parents are exemplifying obedience and submission to the Lord within their relationship. Isn't it interesting? As parents, often we would demand our children to be obedient when we ourselves are not in submission and obedience to God. How hypocritical is that? It doesn't mean that still should not be obeyed, but that's hypocrisy in, in, in the grossest form for us to expect our children to be obedient because we're the well, let me tell you, we're not more so authority over our children than God is over us. And so we are to exemplify and demonstrate this submission. The importance of submitting to God's order is equally important in relation to the relationship of parents to children and children to parents. So in other words, how can one expect for their children to be obedient to their authority if parents themselves are not living in submission or obedience to God's authority over them? 
Husbands and wives must submit to the lordship of Jesus Christ in all things. In so doing, they're not only manifesting the beauty of the relationship between Christ and his church to an unbelieving world, but hear me, not only is a husband and wife in a marital covenant relationship when in submission to the Lord in obedience to him, not only are they submitting to one another and to the Lord in that and demonstrating the beauty of the relationship of Christ and his church to the world that's without Christ in darkness spiritually, but they are also demonstrating the beauty of the relationship of Christ and his church to their own children and teaching and exemplifying it. Second, the second thing Paul deals with here, and, and we'll be finished, is honor. Because, of course, he says in Ephesians uh, chapter 6, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor thy father and mother, he says. So what is honor? And this is something that people get really confused about, I think. I've, I've been questioned about this multiple times as, as a pastor about honor. Verse 2 and 3 of Ephesians 6. Honor thy father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with thee, and thou mayest live long on the earth. This is Ephesians chapter 6, of course. And this command is a quote from Exodus 20. Paul quoting Exodus, in, in which is the chapter in which the Ten Commandments were given. In Exodus 20, 12, he says, Honor thy father and mother, that thy days may be long upon the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee. Now, the meaning of the word honor is simply that to value. So what does one do then? Here's the question that's been asked before. So I'm told, commanded to honor my father and mother. Well, first of all, let's remember what it said to us in Ephesians chapter 5. I think this is totally just neglected to be seen. Children, obey your parents in the Lord. This is about children within the home, being obedient to their parents, submitting to God's, he has ordained it to be. Then honor thy father and mother. Well, this can still, of course, apply to children within the home. This can also apply to children without, who live apart or outside of the, the home, meaning their parents' home, as those who have matured, grown, and moved on. But remember, in the marital covenant relationship, Paul says, husbands are to love their wives, wives submit to their husbands, and he goes on to say, uh, for this call shall a man leave his father and mother, shall cleave to his wife. And man here does not simply mean that the man alone leaves and moves in with the in-laws. Thank the Lord. That's not what's being But rather that the man is to leave the authority of his home under his parents and now lead his home as now the God's order is now demonstrated through his life. He's to take that responsibility now. And the woman's also to leave her family in terms of cleaving to her own husband. Not saying just a man to leave and woman, not of course, but the responsibility of the man is to lead that home now as the headship and shepherd of that home or his wife and children as well. So then when you think about this matter of honor, about and I've had men ask me this question, well, what about honoring uh, you know, father and mother? Because, you know, and, and they'll tell me situation and I'm not men with their own they're concerned about this because their, their parents will misuse Scripture and throw that in their face about something that they're doing they don't want them to do or what have you. And, and the question then is, so what if, my, what if your parents are not honorable? What if they themselves are not submitted to the Lord? What if they are not living according to the Scriptures? What if they are not obedient, living in obedience and submission to God? So what does this mean? And I believe the answer is really not that complicated. For instance, one can, this is only part of the answer, part A, one can respect and value the position one holds, even if the person in the position does not respect that position. So one can obviously treat their parents with respect, whether or not whether they live respectably or not, they could actually show them still a proper respect. And I don't mean placating them, but deal with them properly as their child without caving into them, obviously, or following after some desires they have for them or what they want them to do. But that's only part of the answer, as I said. I think more importantly is this, that one can value what is right where one ha in what one has done and taught 
when they've taught what is right, even if that person themselves are not right. In other words, I would venture to say that in most cases, there may be exceptions to this as, as, or also, but in most cases, children can glean from their parents things that are right to some degree. There may be exceptions, but in most cases, the, the rule would be that even parents who are bad parents, that there's still something there that they're constructing that is honorable or that is right or that is proper. So here's what I would say. As, as, as someone who, even as a child living in the home of their parents, and no, I'm not talking millennials living in their homes at 35, okay? I'm talking about children still living at home with their parents as children, okay? That even in that situation... The fact of the matter is, that does not mean that that child is to just do what mom and dad, if it's against scripture, if it's against God's order, or what God has proclaimed to be, that is not a life for them or a command for them to sin because if I don't do this, then I'm sinning because I'm not obeying. No, but to honor is that we take what was right, what was righteous, what was good, and that our lives are conformed and molded to these truths and that which is right which is the true honor. Listen, you actually, even as grown adults, you can still honor your parents without them even realizing you are honoring them. The life that you are living can be demonstrative of teaching learned and gleaned that is good and right, even if they are wicked and not living in submission to the Lord. And that is genuine biblical true honor, not placating them and acting like that you have to have their approval because that's not what's important. So it's, it's, it's imperative that this is understood because children are not being told, do whatever your parents say, regardless of what that is, and that's what God is pleased with. No, God is pleased with the submission to his order. And first, our submission is to God himself, and then following down as God has provided. So children are to honor, which is to say they are to value that which their parents have taught them that is right, while rejecting whatever is wrong or wicked or unbiblical, and not following that at all. So, in conclusion, let me just state, when parents teach their children in the truth of the Lord and children obey and value the truth which has been taught, the promise is that they will live in a joy and goodness of the truth which they embrace. Spence Jones commented and said, where obedience to parents is found, there is usually found along with it temperance, self-control, industry, regular ways of life, and other habits that tend toward prosperity and longevity. And he's not talking about prosperity gospel nonsense. He's saying that if parents are serious about their responsibility with their children, they're going to love them, and that love's going to be demonstrated in teaching their children to be, first of all, submitted to God, and also living accordingly, which means that their lifestyle is not going to be a reckless one. Also, that they're going to become productive, generally speaking, in a physical sense, in society, they're going to become productive and not just, just draw and drain society, and that's going to be an honorable lifestyle, if you will. So the point here in speaking sense is that those that type of living is conducive to longevity it doesn't mean someone's going to live alone just because they're obedient to their parents but the the principle is that that this type of living is conducive to longevity and prosperity not meaning getting rich but saying you know product productivity so to obey and honor the truth in which one is taught is to live in that truth. And this is not a matter of doing, again, what one is told necessarily alone, but rather it's a command to love, to embrace, and to live in the truth of God 
in submission to his order. Children, obey your parents. This is not a command for the fathers to beat their kids into submission. Now, children need discipline. My children received it. Two of them maybe not as much as they should have. One of them being here. <laughs> and that is her husband. <laughs> but it is not it is not for us to beat our children. It's for us to shepherd our children. But listen, men, you are to be intentional and purposeful. This is not going to happen by accident. And too many men have stepped back and said, let the church do this, let the pastor do this. And responsibility. I said years ago, I said, I refuse to be a surrogate spiritual husband for women who are married whose husbands will not lead and shepherd them. I'm not going to do it. I will still teach and preach the truth, but I am not going to step into the place, spiritually speaking, that a man is responsible to be in himself in teaching and shepherding his wife. And by the way, let's say, let's say we all have failed in this. I, I, I have failed in this. As intentional and purposeful as I've desired to be, there are times I have absolutely failed in this. I was waiting for Kelly to amen that. She didn't, okay. So there are times I've absolutely failed in this without question. She's not as vocal as Jake. Um, but there are times that I have failed in that area. And I'm not saying that it's not funny. I'm, that's funny. If I'm not making light of the situation. And it's been my desire to do so. But here's what I'm saying to you. As husbands, as fathers, even if you have failed, and even as adults, if your children are adults and out of your house and you failed in it is still not too late, whether they receive it or not, for you to begin to step into this and say, Lord, I have failed in this, I have sinned in this, and I'm praying for your grace and your wisdom, and as well to give hearts to my children to receive the shepherding that I am responsible to provide them. You can't just step back and don't let it be. No, you are still responsible. And even if you've not understood that responsibility and have failed in that responsibility, you are still held responsible before a holy God to follow his order and to live accordingly. And so even now, the good news is you can step up and say, look, I have failed, I have sinned in this area. God, give me grace, give me wisdom, and open the hearts of my children to be receptive. Even mature, older, grown adult children to receive the, the instruction and wisdom and shepherding that I can provide in a gracious manner to them. So don't throw your hands up and say, well, it's too late. You know, it's already happened. No, understand the responsibility and be serious in the responsibility. And even if that's rejected of your children, as husbands, you will be honoring God in taking on that responsibility seriously as a shepherd. So may we live accordingly. If ye then be risen with Christ, wives, Submit yourselves unto your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. If you then be risen with Christ, husbands, love your wives and be not bitter against them. Then be risen with Christ, children, obey your parents in all things, for this is right. Or might we say righteous? This is righteous. Let's stand together in prayer. Father, thank you.